following Christ sometimes painfully changes our perspective on who we should love. Hello everyone, it has been a full week. I'm sorry I'm getting these episodes out a little late. I missed Monday and here it is Friday evening and I'm recording my Friday morning episode. I've had a lot to deal with this week, so I appreciate your prayers uh, that I can keep getting these put out. Part of it is Romans chapter 9 has a lot to deal with. As I said, Romans chapter 8 is the peak of Scripture showing how God has entered into the world to be with us through his sacrifice and through his Spirit. Perhaps the most encouraging and misunderstood verse in the whole Bible is Romans 8.28, as we looked at. We know that all things work together for good. The question is, what is the good? And Paul puts this into practice in his own life in chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 of that chapter today, and hold on tight because there's some very difficult things to talk about. Romans 9.1 says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. These are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Paul is comforting himself. In verse 1, you can see he's wanting the readers to understand just how bad he feels. He says, unceasing anguish in his heart. Great sorrow. How many of you have felt that? I know right after a loss of someone dear, it's hard to let go of the sorrow. It just seems to fade a little at a time, and then there's spikes of pain that get driven into you when you realize that that person is no longer with you. But Paul didn't just lose one person. When Jesus met him on the road, he got knocked off his whole course of life. What he believed, what he was pursuing, his whole purpose came crashing down around his ears. Paul no longer belonged to the same external group of people that he did before. He was now a Christian a true Israelite, as he will say here. But he wishes here that he was cut off from Christ for the sake of his brothers, his kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's looking back over his shoulder and seeing all the people he's left behind who are perishing in their sin. Paul is mourning the loss of an entire nation of people. Certainly, Christ calls from every nation some to himself. But Paul sees many Jews turning aside from the Messiah who promised new life. When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such were some of you, he's reminded of where he came from as well. He preaches in humility. Everywhere he goes, 
he points to his past, and he calls people to a new life. But he knows that all of these people that he calls from their homes, just as Jesus calls to uh, leave behind mother and father, he knows that these people are going to want to look back at those they're leaving behind to follow Christ. So we should allow Paul plenty of space to weep for his brothers here. He's mourning the loss of family. One thing, though, that is hard about adoption, theological adoption, when you become a part of Christ's eternal family, you no longer have the same family. He has grafted you in. He has brought you out of the dysfunctional family you were born in. No matter how dysfunctional it was, it was a sinful family. Clothed you in his righteousness and placed you on the Father's lap as a child. It is hard to know that some of the members of the families of our flesh are not Christians. But Paul comforts himself in this way, knowing that it is not as though the word of God has failed. God hasn't broken his covenant promise with Israel. Paul realizes that Israel, true Israel, is a spiritual covenant community that are just sojourners in this world. Our identity is not where we were born or who we were born to, but who has rebirthed us and brought us into new spiritual life. He goes on in verse 6 to say, For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Isaac was the promised child. This argument, as we'll see later, hinges on the fact that there are two brothers that are born at nearly the same time but only one is the son of promise. Paul's argument is that flesh has nothing to do with it. What it does have to do with is the love of God. What this does is call us to weep even more deeply for those that are perishing around us and cause us to rejoice more greatly at those who we previously would not have called brothers or sisters. We can now call them brothers and sisters because they are part of the adopted family in Christ. Following Christ is painful. It changes our perspective in, in such a horrific way sometimes. To realize that someone you grew up next to isn't really your brother. But at the same time, it opens our eyes wide to the spiritual realities that our true brothers and sisters are those who have been loved and love the Christ who is God over all, as he says in verse 5. Paul points us to widening our spiritual lens and seeing into the spiritual reality that is really at work in the world. Right now I want to fast forward to chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. That is exactly the response we need to have. We should, as he says back in chapter 9, verse 2, we should have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in our hearts. That sorrow 
is a seed sown in our heart so that we might learn to cherish Christ's grace set upon us all the more and be able to preach more boldly and more effectively and with more passion to those who do not know him. Even though we know that some just have a hard heart and do not want to turn to God, we should not prevent ourselves from preaching, as it says in chapter 10, verse 11, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. To close, we might say this, do not hide from the painful spiritual realities of this world, but embrace the task that God has given us to see that pain, understand it fully, weep deeply for it, and preach loudly, carefully, and effectively the only message that will save, that Jesus died for our sins. And when he died for our sins, he took our death to the grave with him. And when he rose again, he fulfilled the promise that Israel would find the true promised land, the paradise, the Garden of Eden, where God would walk with them in the Spirit. Preach that loudly, preach it soberly, and preach it lovingly. Father, we are small creatures with little brains and hard hearts. So we need you to change our spiritual perception of this world so that we are not numbed or prone to ignore pain. We need you to soften our hearts so that we might ache for those who do not know you and so that we might ache for our own souls so that we might know you better. Break us down, build us back up in your Son and send us out not for outcomes or successes, but for your glory alone. Amen.